Well, when it comes to 5G, I, I actually don't need to look into the crystal ball. We're really focused now on, on making 5G happening. And the mobility report really tells, you know, the number of subscriptions we know um, are going to grow. Uh, and we know what they're going to go into. We know that uh, our customers who have set out and declared that they're going to start uh, commercially with 5G, we know who those who they are, and they're going to start in the U.S. and then, of course, move into Asia and then and then into Europe. Hi, and welcome to Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. And this is another in our Transmissions from Tomorrow themed podcast. And today I have the pleasure of being joined in the studio by Eva Headforce. Hi, Eva. How are you? Hi, Des. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. How's your day going there in uh, Schuster in Stockholm? Well, it's just kind of started. We we're having a really great day. Um, Stockholm and Sweden is getting ready for the holidays. It's getting colder. And we're also getting ready to... Uh, welcome all the smart people for the Nobel Prize Award that's coming up here. Yes, that's going to be an exciting time. I, I imagine there's a whole yeah. different category of tourism that happens yeah. there. Well, uh, I'm at the end of my day here in Sydney, and I have to tell you, it's nice and warm and toasty. So uh, mm. I, I, uh, uh, <laughs> Lucky I do, you. <laughs> I do envy your white Christmases, but we do like our summers as well. Now, Eva, I'm really excited to have you on the show. I've been dying to get you here for a long time. You're the Vice President and Head of Marketing and Communications for Ericsson's second largest business area, the Digital Services uh, Group. And I'm dying to get to know a lot more about that role, what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, how it integrates into the organization. But before we do that, uh, I hope you don't mind, but can we maybe just delve into a little bit of background of yourself as to you know where you grew up, where you're from, what your academic career path was like, uh, how you came to be in this role in Ericsson in the first place? Sure. So I'm in. I'm a, I'm a sweet, a typical Swedish girl, I guess. I was uh, brought up uh, in the suburbs of Stockholm. Um, really, you know, great. Uh, and uh, uh, my parents, you could say, they may didn't give me things, but they gave one thing, and that was uh, perspective. So we travel a lot. Um, and uh, actually, I was uh, the first time I traveled around the globe was uh, I was 12. Wow. Uh, and I think at that time, actually, it was quite rare. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I think that was something that I've uh, been bringing with me. Uh, we, um, when I was uh, you know, early 80s, we lived in L.A. I moved back uh, to the U.S. when I was 17, 18, wanted to try out what high school was all about. Ended up in a really, really small town in Michigan, uh, the real opposite of L.A., you can say. Uh, and that also gave some perspective to life. Uh, but besides that, my parents gave me, uh, you know, skis uh, and a passion for, for skiing and also a passion for uh, um, actually going around uh, roller coasters. So if I wouldn't be working, I think I'd just be traveling around trying out new roller coasters and skiing. I think that would be, you know, the dream, of course, with, uh, together with my family. I love but, that. But, um, yeah. <laughs> a life, a life Are you, do you like roller coasters? I yeah. love roller coasters. Uh, and I'm one of those people. You know, people there's, there's actually an organization that just goes around and tries and do podcasts on roller coasters. That's Maybe amazing. I need, we I need, and I do together. <laughs> I think we should do that. We pivot out of telco and move into that. Uh, I'm one of those crazy people who put <laughs> their hands in the air. Uh, everyone panics because yeah. you put their hands in the air, but they didn't realize that gravity is going to keep you in place, right? Right, exactly. But wow. yeah, you know, you asked me a little bit about my education. So I'm I um, 
Um, I've studied uh, economics uh, and I majored in uh, in marketing quite early. I went to the School uh, of Commerce in Gothenburg, which is uh, the second largest city here in, in Sweden. It's on the West Coast. I started out really uh, thinking my career would be in uh, hotels and recreations because then I'd be traveling and, and doing that. And I think like midway into my studies, I actually started working in a hotel and I got a reality check and said, that's not for me. Um, definitely not for me. And I, and I think the passion then came into really finding out where technology meets business. There were big, big companies uh, like Volvo, Volvo Trucks, SKF, Ericsson, big, big in, uh, Swedish industries residing in that part of Sweden. And I just found it fascinating when I was doing studies with them on, you know, I could really add value. Uh, technology is complicated. And if you can make it easy and relevant for others, you know, they, they buy into it and start using it. And that's when magic happens. So that's kind of what led me from away from maybe the hotel business and then into, into more, uh, you know, tech, tech companies. And it's quite interesting. Um, you know, I had a fantastic professor. She asked me one day, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know, but I think, you know, I think just, just this value between tech and business is where I, where I can actually add value and said, well, there's this company called, I think it's, it's, it's an abbreviation, uh, Ericsson Hewlett Packard or HBT, and they were looking for somebody. Um, should I refer them to you? And I said, yes. And, and the market was pretty good. This is like 20 years ago, Das. Right. A long time. <laughs> but they, they more or less said, yeah, well, come interview with us. And at the time, I didn't think it would be that cool to work for Ericsson. So I kind of, in the interview, said, you know, how much Ericsson is it? in this joint venture and say, well, you know, we're like the, you know, the teenage kid on the block. Our parents are HB and, and, and Ericsson. We do software, we do services, and, you know, we're going to break loose from our parents and, you know, be something really big. And you could say that's kind of the embryo of what I'm working with today, but it was, um, I, I thought it was fantastic. And, and, and I, I jumped on, on the EHPT or Ericsson Hewlett Packard uh, wagon doing many types of things uh so that's kind of my, my first introduction into into uh, the business world wow what an amazing start mm -hmm. it's uh it's probably a dream start because it i can imagine that uh not only ignited your passion that you'd already found that by that stage but also uh set you up with all the relevant uh, bits that kind of just built on that passion because uh, i remember reading that you know that had a whole range of I guess strategy, sales, and marketing uh, uh, act activation around um, you know technology in general of you know TV, media, the operational support systems, business support systems as early as that, which as you said was like a couple of decades ago. Although that ages us both. Um, I know. Yeah. <laughs> It seems to me it this, it's like a natural evolution now to what you're doing. I mean, you, and in between that, I remember reading you. You know, you've been around the planet, which uh, sort of follows on from your childhood as early as twelve. I think you said where you've been. You've worked in, in regions around Asia and Tokyo. Uh, you've worked with uh, customers through, throughout the Ericsson uh, ecosystem in China, Japan, Korea, Taiwan. I mean, that's an amazing lead up to where you are now. Well, I think that was. Uh... You know, I mean, I said I didn't think Ericsson would be a cool place to work when I get out, came out of school, uh, but the company really proved me wrong. Um, they really proved me wrong. And um, I um, once, you know, H EHPT uh, went sort of 
you know, it was the internet era and we, uh, the, um, the company such uh, it was dissolved and we, you know, we moved back to our, our parents and I moved to Ericsson and, and, and they really proved me wrong. They've given me an amazing career opportunity. Uh, and uh, I became a manager at the age of 30, uh, where I, I, I start, you know, testing my wins and leading people and having impact and seeing what teams can really do and the brains change and, and uh, want to do things differently. But, and that was all in marketing. But I, what I felt was a necessary step uh, uh, for me and in my career was to move more towards sales. So I, I started working out with in Northern Europe, um, but then I had the opportunity and was asked to move to Japan and to move my whole family to Japan, uh, which was a life-changing experience for me, both uh, business-wise, uh, but uh, very much so on a personal level for, for me and my whole family. Uh, it is uh, one of those things that, uh, you know, I... When you when when I was asked to move, uh, you know, I sat down with my husband and said, you know, should we do this? And he said, well, you know, I've never been to this part of the world, but how hard can it be? And <laughs> it was quite hard. Famous <laughs> last words. Different, <laughs> but it was also a really great experience. And um, there I was working, of course, with all just like you were saying, with all the Asian customers and their um, transformation towards. Um, the time voice uh, on LTE, but then further into cloud and IoT. It would have been an exciting period, I imagine, because it, around that era, you, you, we kind of really saw a major shift of the fundamental con- components that technology was built on. And, and as you said, you know, people starting to to engage with cloud transformations, uh, telecoms and mobile were really becoming uh, viable things for enterprise businesses to build on. And and, and that whole part of the world woke up to it and, and all of a sudden we had, you know, devices and handsets and, and even laptops with SIM cards slotted in them. I imagine yeah. you saw some pretty amazing transformations in that short period of time. I did. I did. I mean, the customers in this part of the world are, you know, they're, they're very different, um, but they're very hungry for new technologies, very hungry for um, very intelligent, big R&D organizations, very forward-leaning and then... And, uh, you know, a big desire to be first. Yeah. A big and, desire to be first. And I guess is that that uh, dichotomy of sort of either catching up if they're an emerging market space or trying to stay ahead of the market if they're already established and, uh, you know, at the same rate as the rest of the world, just trying to keep ahead. Now, you've also got some other exciting things that um, I just want to touch on quickly before we dive into sort of more of the specifics here. Uh, you uh, you did a bunch of work around uh, the Network Society uh uh, organization and, and, and evangelizing some of that stuff and around certain key events. And there was one that really jumped out at me around the SoftBank, uh, Softbank um, World in Tokyo uh, and the GSMA IoT Summit in Shanghai. I mean, these are these are some of the biggest events in the world. That that must have been a pretty exciting challenge. Yeah, I, I, it was. <laughs> it was. And, and, and I was on both panels and presenting with uh, amazing um, other thought leaders in the industry. And it's, it's one of those... Um, dreams come true situations. But um, before I, uh, I moved to Tokyo and, and to the region, I was heading up Consumer Lab. Um, it's our um, Ericsson in-house uh, um, uh, consumer research. Uh, and this team just, you know, they just bring insights on how technology is perceived and used by consumers. And, and uh, you know, that 
for me was a great platform to be able to talk to industry leaders and talk to the market about you know how connectivity is going to change not only how how we behave on our smartphones and on our other devices, but also how it's going to impact uh, society that we live in, how it will impact education, how it impacts, um, you know, work uh, and work-life balance. So uh, I really um, use those insights together with, with, of course, other assets that we have. And, and it was, uh, those events are, are really, really fantastic to be at. There was a really nice phrase I saw. It's mentioned a couple of times, and, and uh, I hope you don't mind me mentioning. But there was a uh, a term, smarketing, which I thought was a, a combination like smart marketing, but also sales and marketing. And I guess the the combination of your sales and and marketing background gives me the opportunity to ask you what you think some of the bigger trends impacting sales and marketing are. Not so much just with Ericsson, but in the in the industry as a whole. Where do you see, I mean, you, yeah. you, you've got some of those impacts across Ericsson as an organization through your own digital transformation and shift to cloud and cloud native environments, but also you're working with very big brands globally uh, and, and industry bodies. What are some of the biggest trends that are impacting sales and marketing in your world? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think this is, uh, uh, this is so, it was so great to come back to, to marketing after a couple of years in sales because marketing for me is really about bringing um, you know, understanding who you're trying to talk to, who you're trying to touch, who you're trying to make a, a, a relevance for and make a business impact on. And and bringing that in, insights from a sales dimension and combining that with um, marketing is, is really what I see as marketing. You become smart when you combine those two two drivers. And, and, and smart for the customer point of view means that they, you know, we are, providing them with things that are relevant for them. A lot of our customers are today researching online. Um, I think Forrester said 68% now are researching online before they meet with us. And before. And I, I started to see that at, at the end of my sales career is that the customers just got getting smarter and smarter in the, in the sales discussions. They had read up. They had read reports. They had listened to podcasts. They, you know, they wanted to be prepared when they come just like we do when we're buying a coffee machine or something in, in on on the consumer side they yeah. read up and i think <clears throat> that's impacting a lot the way that i organize my own unit how um how we make sure that we have the right tools and the, uh, to be able to stay really really relevant but also to combine what you said before the marketing part of it Consumers in the B2C space have become very technically savvy and using the smartphones to look for things. And, you know, there's a whole trend of, of people going to shops and trying clothing on to get the right fit and shape and so forth, and then going buying it online. And retail doesn't know how to cope with that. And, and I can imagine that some of that B2C experience now is coming through not just the millennial new age decision makers, but also some of the older generations are saying, you know what, I've done my homework online. I've, I've, as you said, I've read the, the, the e-briefs, I've read the, the blogs, I've read the articles, I've done my research, I've Googled it as it were. I've listened to podcasts, I've seen the webinars and Twitter chats. I now know what I need to ask, what I need is someone who can answer the question. And I guess based on the data you referred to there before, not just with Forrester, but certainly your own research, People, when they come to the door, are more digitally savvy and more cloud savvy. Uh, does that make it easier to, to work with them and, and develop business opportunities? Or does it make it more challenging because uh, you, you've got to kind of work through validating what they think they know versus what's really the case? 
now I, I think it makes it in essence when you get the everything in place it makes it easier because you're you're, you also become much more intelligent in what uh, business relevance means for them, uh, our customers. You get a much better understanding, so you could, of course, personalize your messages much better. Right. So in that sense, it becomes, you know, easier and better for both. But on the other hand, just like in any, you know, just like sales and marketing, of course, ch- becomes changed, uh, and and the role changes. Just like you know, teachers today. Um, you know, if if the student can Google the answer, what's the role of the teacher? Yeah. The same thing comes for our profession. I mean, we we need to help and guide, not just push features down people's throat and say we're the best, even though we are. <laughs> but <laughs> I like you know, that. that's not that's not why they buy. It's no. just that we just say this is how good we are. This is how best we are. This is you know no. It, it, we have to help them. Um, you know, look at how to, uh, when do you start a digital transformation? How do you go about capturing the 5G potential? All those things, you know, are, are things that we can help to guide rather than just tell them how good we are. Uh, so was, I think that's a big change. There was a phrase that uh, came up in a conversation uh, the other day. I was, I was having dinner with some friends in um, Madrid. And we were talking about just the transformation you mentioned there with our kids and education, how they're turning up with smartphones in class and now they're allowed to and they've got laptops in class because it's mm-hmm. mandated. And I said, well, I, I think teaching now is more of a stewardship. You know, as you said, you're not ramming information down their throats to teach them as children. You're just stewarding them through the education process and trying to guide them. And I think it struck me when I was talking to them, I said to them, well, you know, actually, I, I think that's what I'm seeing around what Ericsson's doing, that. Um, it's less selling and more telling, sharing knowledge, sharing information, stewarding people through the decision, showing what the roadmap could be like, and if and when they've got a pain point or a requirement, helping them through their process. Whereas traditionally, I think, uh, not so much just telcos, but certainly organisations as a whole in the sales game, we're really trying to just bang the drum. Whereas I see now a lot of what you're doing appears to me, and I'd love you to tell me whether I'm right or wrong, is it's more of a stewardship. You're kind of helping people go through the journey and, and adding value where you can, but at the same time being honest and frank about where you, you, you can't add value or necessarily are the right fit because I don't think anyone can be everything to anyone anymore. It's more about just the right fit. Is that is that a fair assumption to sort of look at it from more as a stewardship and a partnership rather than just selling? Yeah, uh, I think you're, you're spot on actually. And I think um, also trying to get um, environments both you know, when we meet um, – face-to-face and with others, but also online to create an environment where we can share ideas with each other, like ringsides or uh, like the user groups that we have together with our, our, our key customers to involve them in, in how we design our, our products going forward. Those, those things are really key. And I think with new technologies like AR and VR, you can create a lot of more digital spaces for people to interact. And I think interactions are really, really important in marketing and sales going forward. Well, I had the pleasure, as you know, of being part of the team with the uh, event uh, a couple of weeks ago in New York with the uh, OSS BSS user group, and, and that was a privilege. The thing that really struck me was exactly what you're saying there was that collaboration piece. You had, I think it was like 61 operators and telcos around the world under the same roof for a week. Uh, where they may, yeah. may not have, uh, you know, arch rivals in many ways. And, and and yet here they were rubbing elbows and shoulders, looking at the same demos. And there was a moment, there was like this epiphany where I saw, and I won't mention the brands, but two potentially <laughs> competitive brands, uh, two of them standing next to each other, asking one of your team to demo one of the, the tools. And 
it struck me that they were finishing each other's sentences. One person asked the front end and your team demoed it and the other person finished the question. I was like, here we've got collaboration <laughs> just in the demo, right? Which was astounding to yeah. me because two or three years ago there would have been, you know, pistols at 40 paces. Um, and I guess in many ways is, is this part of where, you know, you're talking about trends around sales and marketing. I mean, trends that are impacting the industry as a whole, um, this, this whole collaboration co-compete piece must be something that you're both – establishing and stewarding your partners and, and clients and customers through, but also the industry as a whole. There must be a significant shift taking place there as far as the industry-wide trends that you're seeing. Love to get your thoughts from around some yeah. of the other trends are. I mean, you know, we've got some very big things coming around, not just 5G and network slicing and IoT, that's, you know, digital transformation. But I know in the latest version, for example, of your uh, report, of your Ericsson Mobility Report, just reading that, I mean, there's some astounding facts and figures around trends there. I mean, what are some of the biggest things that yeah. are jumping out of that? I mean, I, I think just like you're saying, Des, I mean, 5G is, is a trend you can't shy away from anymore. It's really, really here. Uh, and at the same time, our customers are really moving from wanting to be a sort of traditional CSP to be becoming a digital service providers. And these two trends go very much hand in hand, obviously. And uh, when I was, um, uh, I've been interviewed by uh, uh, Mobile World Live, uh, we we had a live uh, seminar with them, and uh, we did a poll during that time, and we were just asking the listeners, like, you know, are you getting digital transformation of 5G on the same agenda? And it was quite a diverse uh, answer. I think many, many of us see the need to get this, uh, this on the same agenda to get the full effect of both of these trends. Um, and, and, I mean, with 5G... <laughs> 5G comes an enormous amount of traffic growth and usage. And just you were saying, Mobility Report, we just released our um, last edition here in November. And, you know, eight, we're going to see eight more, uh, eight times more traffic in the world. And the majority of this will, of course, be video. Uh, we're seeing that growing to 74% of the total traffic. Uh, and it's just astonishing numbers. 5G networks carry 25% of the global mobile data traffic. And that uh, represents actually more than uh, 1.3 times of all the traffic in the world today. So th these numbers are just mind-blowing. Uh, 1.5 billion 5G subscriptions in 2024. So you can just imagine, you know, obviously our customers, the telecom operators, uh, they're not going to get eight times more money, unfortunately, from all this traffic. So they are now looking at how to deliver on the promise of 5G, make sure that, you know, they're, starting with the in-house mobile broadband offering, but then also making sure that their networks have the efficiencies and the required assets to be able to deliver, you know, really cost-efficient solutions here. Um, a, so I a, think that that's... Yeah. There's a range of challenges there, isn't there? And I, it's interesting because you're absolutely right there. I mean, when we think about... I, I remember when uh, Netflix was uh, finally available in Australia and, you know, people used to do things like buy $30 VPN services to watch it overseas. But when Netflix was launched here properly and you could you could actually get to it without having to do some trickery, uh, the internet bandwidth in Australia increased by 46 or 47%. So it effectively doubled the internet bandwidth into the country with one application on a smartphone. And it struck me what yeah. would happen if there were two applications, right? Now you're talking about <laughs> eight times. So we're not, it's not, a, it's not yeah. double, it's not triple, it's eight times the volume. And as eight you said, times. Uh, and and yeah. uh, more real time, right? I mean, I remember talking with uh, Patrick Kerwell around this. And he made a really interesting comment on, on uh, when he was a guest appearance on the show. And he said that there was a point where he couldn't work out where all the bandwidth was going with his mobile phone plans and that with his son. And it turned out his son was using YouTube to listen to music. 
And he worked out, but hang on a second, if you're using YouTube to listen to music, it's a thousand times more bandwidth because the video is coming, even though he puts it in his pocket and listens to the music, he's streaming real-time video to get music. And I was like, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> and I noticed walking around uh, Spain the other day, and certainly in New York, uh, a week before that with your event, OSSBSS in New York, people are walking around doing screen calls. They're doing same time, FaceTime, whatever it might be, yeah. WhatsApp, um, and, and certainly in Asia, we're seeing WeChat and other platforms. We've transitioned from voice to video, right. but not just from streaming video, downloading, watching movies. Mm-hmm. We're, we're doing video calls to each other. And so like, there's eight times to me is like uh, there's a number of things in that. It's like, well, we're not going to, as you said, not going to get eight times the money to build infrastructure. Uh, we can't roll out that poles and wires infrastructure fast enough. So it seems to me that 5G is almost a saving grace because it, it seems to be the only way that we're going to get that level of connectivity, whether it's fixed wireless access for enterprise or homes. I, I can only imagine the questions you're getting from operators now saying, well, what do we do? I mean, what, what are some of the examples? I mean, it, it seems to me that when, you, when you're talking to these clients and there, I mean, there's different use cases, there's different uh, examples of these, you must have some astounding conversations. People say, read the mobility report eight times, OMG, what do we do? Um, what do those conversations yeah. sound like? I mean, well, you, you could take... Um because, I mean, 5G is one thing that they have to, you know, tackle. Uh, the other thing they have to tackle is how consumers are perceiving them currently, right? And right. Um, if, we, if we, you know, if you just take a look at, for instance, some of the latest consumer lab reports, and you've also interviewed some of our our um, consumer lab uh, experts, I think, that's right? Yes, and I mean, so every year we release these reports and we go in depth on some behaviors. And and here, you know, just to be able to have a really strong dialogue with customers, we, we studied what, what consumers' interactions are with and how they experience uh, the interactions with the, with the telcos. And, and the feedback that we're getting and that we're working with them on is, is that customers feel quite exhausted with the telcos. You know, it actually takes on average... Um, a smartphone users 2.2 attempts in over four days to successfully complete an interaction with wow. a telephone service provider. That's, mon- that's mind-boggling. And then, I know. It shouldn't be like that in this day and age. And then, of course, we know that that impacts satisfaction. Um, if something takes more than a day to get done, for instance, satisfaction drops. So, Eva, I guess that leads me to my next question. When you think about what you were just talking about there with regard to that shift in consumer experience and uh, that, you know, we've seen stories about, you know, uh, customer celebrity experience. Everyone wants to be a VIP, but they also want to self-service. I guess underpinning all of that must be this core challenge of well, where do you start with that? How do you help your customers and your partners go through that process? Is it the case that that whole digital service provider piece that you offer, is there some sort of blueprint? Is there a, like a, a starting position that you work from and build on, even though everyone wants their own bespoke version? Where do you start with that? How do you start that whole process of going to a telco or going to an operator and saying, we've got a blueprint, we've got an offering, this is what we've learned, and, and here are the recommendations we have? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really good question. And I think just like where do you start is one of those uh, very, very common questions. And and obviously, going for 5G, going for IoT, becoming a digital service provider, there are things that you have to do to modernize your network. It's just, it's just it. And what we're seeing today is that, uh, you know, based on the experience that we have in, in the products that we offer, but also our experience on actually taking customers through different steps in order to, to modernize their networks, that has led us to maybe not one 
you know, this is the blueprint. But there are steps that, you know, operators take to really, really get on top of things and having fantastic capabilities and networks. And, and it, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to start, but many, many start with looking at how they're going to make their networks more programmable. So, right. you know, there's a, there's a big shift here in, in making sure that you can have the right dynamics in your core network to be able to scale and upscale and downscale and making sure that, uh, you know, you have all your network function virtualized um, going into cloud native just to be much, much, much more efficient. And the it's other that, that transition that to think, agile, right? Sorry? It's the transition to agile, yeah. isn't it? Really, it's where you know, once upon a time, you'd have people running around the field with racks and putting routers and switches and servers and plugging by hand. But when you say you know, build, building a programmable network, we're talking about the whole orchestration and automation from you know DevOps and development through to automation of instantiation. So systems demanding an environment, the environment automatically standing up, whether it's a you know a piece of code running in a Docker container or a Kubernetes cluster inside OpenStack on your cloud or their own environment. We're moving away from that physical infrastructure to that software-defined infrastructure and network function virtualization, which I imagine is a dramatic shift for some of the traditional operators who've got big sunk costs in physical infrastructure. Of course. It, it's a huge shift. It's one of the biggest shifts that we're seeing. And it it's taking... It's starting already now. We're not waiting for 5G. Operators are not waiting for 5G. They need to do this already now. And, and it's just like you're saying, Des, that puts another big sort of blueprint is how do I not orchestrate my network functions? How do I make sure that I have the data analytics required to really bring, bring, uh, bring all the attention I need to be able to do smart decisions or having the network do smart uh, decisions for me? How do I take the right step to have a zero touch experience and uh, to be able to provision, you know, services and take out manual workloads and, and, and really have that. Sorry. And you've got it and you've had it. Uh, I mean, when we think about this transition, you've, you've had your own uh, analytics platform for some time. I know Neil Lilly uh, heads up p uh, part of that world around looking at the, uh, I guess, the performance and analytics of your platform on a day to day basis. But I remember reading yes. you've just acquired a, a group called Cynix, who I believe you've been doing business with for nearly a decade or so as a partner. But um, I'd love to uh, learn a bit more about that acquisition because you've acquired this uh, group Cynix and, uh, and mm. now they're part of the Ericsson family. And from what I understand, talking to them the other day, they're effectively now a cloud-native application in your DNA. And this, this blend between what they've been doing with the intelligent network and monitoring services and self-healing, uh, augmenting and adding value to what you've been doing in, in Neil Lilly's world around the existing uh, analytics you've been doing around performance and systems analysis. Tell us a little bit about the, uh, the Cenex Group and, and how that acquisition came about and, and where that adds value to what you've got currently. Yeah, I mean, Senex, it's great to have Senex now really, truly part of, of the family, and they're really complementing our OSS portfolio, like you're saying. And I would say OSS is really one of those areas in Telco now that's that's getting getting very much uh, modernized um, uh, with some sort of zero-touch vision that everybody wants to reduce the manual workload. Uh, a lot more automation and AI is coming into the picture. And for us, it was... Um, uh, in, extremely important to have, you know, complement our portfolio with, with the Scenix um, assurance uh, components to really be able to have that close loop um, where we just get smarter in how we manage this, you know, and the networks. And, and they really complement the existing portfolio. And it's the right time as well, because with 5G coming along, with the Gremlin networks, we see that... Hmm, 
in 4G, a lot of operators can handle certain things manually. You know, you can do workarounds, you can make it work. With 5G coming into the picture with all this you know, enormous amount of data, densification, you know, a big increase in complexity, you, can, you need to do this in an automated way. And that's why the interest in and in, in the hunger for really smart and dynamic orchestration solutions come to play. There's two parts to that that I was keen to uh, just touch base on. Zero touch component in one sense, both from the operator's point of view, but also the, the customer's point of view. And you, you mentioned the term closed loop. And I, when I was talking to Neil Lilly um, uh, uh, with regard to what he's doing around the uh, uh, the service assurance and network assurance piece and, and how Cenex is going to fit into that, he also used the term of closing the loop. And it, it, when I looked at it and sort of did my homework, I realised that, as you've just said, You've had a capability of your own and you've been partnering with Cenex for some time to sort of you know, or add value to that. But, but in you know, bringing Cenex into the family and completing this acquisition has, in a sense, closed that loop that you've, you've had a capability with service assurance. You've now had this additional capability brought in with you know, real-time monitoring, real-time fault uh, detection and, and resolution. You're almost getting the point now we're building that into the platform for consumers, uh, your own customers, to, 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 to consume as a cloud-native service. That must shorten the the spin up time for them to go from the digital transformation through to self healing networks, where they don't yeah. have to build this technology themselves. They don't have to go and create that capability or even have their own team of data scientists and developers. They almost get this out of the box with the service from you off the bat. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, I get, uh, yeah, it's a fair thing to say. I think, but uh, but I mean, obviously, uh, this is a journey. A blueprint is not. Uh, Know, a, a one-size-fits-all. I think what we're giving our um, our customers is really the experience, what we have learned from, you know, how do you implement technology? How do you create an environment that allows you to reduce your manual interventions with 40% or increase time to market or, you know, and, and we do that, uh, we do that through our, through our blueprints but it's so much more than technology. It's really about how you organize yourself around, you know, being staying focused on, on, on the business, so the operators can focus on orchestrating their business rather than orchestrating their network. And I mm. think that's the value we want to reach out. Is right. really getting them, allowing them, you know, totally being on a quest for easy from our side, trying to minimize and help them manage the complexity in their network to. You know, zero touch, if you may, but uh, but really to, to offload them from all that, so they can focus on what you know their customers asking them for, and that's really just to, to have a, a really good and strong business experience for them. Being at the uh, event the other day in New York around the uh, user group for uh, operational support systems and business support systems, the other thing that really struck me was uh, something you just touched on there, and that is that um, I mean, your know, whole digital transformation is all well and good, but at the end of the day, people want to be able to monetize they want to be able to build and what was interesting yeah. was seeing the new demos of the oss bss stack uh i i asked someone the other day about this and, and sort of they sort of commented said well i think you're right i said i i believe that ericsson's effectively their own first customer and that you've built these tools for your own purposes then you've made them available to customers and partners and, and the industry as a whole <laughs> it seems to me that oss bss has been through the whole transformation itself it's now a cloud cloud native it's your own product you use it yourselves for various parts of managing your infrastructure but it yeah. brings it back to that that end line, which is, well, how do we make money out of this? Well, we've got this whole digital engagement right. piece now where the OSSBSS 
piece is a cloud native. It's available as a service, and whether it's zero touch uh, and self service for the customers, or whether it's a intelligent self healing network, that's a big shift from what I've seen as well. Because um, once you get the operational and business support systems intelligent and leveraging machine learning and, and self healing, you can now start to focus on the use cases of building new services. I suspect. Um, what's happening in yeah. that space around the transition from traditional building systems to the, the new generation of OSS, BSS platforms? Well, I, I think, I mean, if we take it again to um, why why are they embarking on this journey? And it's, it's like you're saying, I mean, it just you have to be able to monetize yourselves. You have to be able to take new, new services to the market in a quick way. We, we are getting, we who are brought up in this uh, sort of uh, digital era and are consuming Netflix and Amazon and Alibaba and uh, Baidu services, we, I mean, we are used to being able to engage with our, um, our, 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 our favorite brands in a, in a very digital way. And right now here, as you know, you heard me say about the Consumer Lab report, here our, our customers are lagging behind and they know that and they know that they need to prepare their whole BSS and, uh, and IT infrastructure to be able to allow for much more digital experience. Today, about you know 10 to 30 percent um, of the interactions are digital, and they need to move this up to above 70. That's what most of them have as, as their ambition. Wow. That's a big jump. Um, I was reading some uh, yes. in a couple of your recent That's reports. That's to play in like building your own omni channels and things like that, right? Well, exactly. You really and need to have that. I guess that's where Ericsson really is a game changer in my mind because you know, a lot of the operators uh, were looking to maintain, I guess, independence in many ways, thinking they had to be everything to everyone. But talking to some of the operators here in Australia, they've learned that they can't do that. And it makes, you know, even if they're a telco as a service provider, they've worked out they don't actually have to build the platform. They don't have to build the operational support systems or the business support systems themselves. They just need to get the best of breed and they can focus on their core yeah. business, which sounds odd, but at the end of the day, they can't be everything to everyone. I remember reading no. uh, recently that there was, in one of your reports, customers were looking for, you know, almost halving their time to market. Uh, and, and as you yes. mentioned before, you know, they want uh, less than 40% manual intervention now. Uh, but I was I was yeah, astounded right. to that jump between thirty and seventy percent. I mean, that's a you know, that's got to be a mm. challenge beyond comprehension because you know halving the tiny yeah, market. Yeah, but you one still thing. see a lot of stores out there, right? You still see a lot yeah. of physical stores there, and and they serve their purpose. But obviously, you know, more and more of us are going to move online. And I think you know, going back uh, going back to your question on the blueprint, uh, what I'm most proud of when it comes to what we're able to do is that we bring a lot of thought leadership into helping operators to design a blueprint that makes sense for them. But we really build it on a lot of experience. And I think one of the biggest triggers, you know, regardless of what we've been talking about, tighter market and reducing order interventions and manual workloads and improving the digital experience and all that, at the end of the day, they need to take out costs. Uh, and, and the blueprints and the way they go about that needs to help them to cut costs up to 30% to be able to be ready for you know, this whole new 5G era. And I, I strongly believe that the, the vendor that you know, helps them to do that in the best way is the vendor that's going to win. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great comment. In fact, that that should be on someone's business card. I'm really keen. <laughs> I'm really keen to, uh, and I suspect it's on yours. I'm really keen to understand some of the the success stories you've had so far. And I've had the privilege of interviewing a number of these from you know folk like Intel and Verizon, and others that you've had at TM Forum, NWC. Um, there must be some great uh, uh, use cases and customer examples that you could share around how the likes of Intel and Verizon and others have worked with you, gone through some of those journeys and some of the wins. What what can you share around some of those clients and partners and, and what yeah. you've been doing with them? Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you mentioned Intel. I think Intel is, is there are many front runners, but I think they do stick out. I mean, Intel, for those who don't know, is, is the incumbent operator in Chile. They also have operations in Peru. Uh, there, they, in Peru, they have more of a, like an attacker position. Uh, and Intel, actually, they decided that they needed to do a digital transformation to continue to stay relevant for their uh, for their customer base. They are they have a lot of you know traditional competitors, but are also meeting a lot of these new digital local attackers that are going for their market. And um, <laughs> Funnily enough, they're also seeing a shift in, in uh, demographics. So by 2025, 75% of the workforce in, in Chile, for instance, will be millennials. Wow. And, and first, you know, yeah, I know. And until, of course, you know, they want to bring them aboard as, as a workforce and be relevant in that sense. But they also want to attract them as, uh, as uh, customers with new services. So I think, you know, they they're, they really stick out. They, they decided to kick off a, a digital transformation. Um, they have very clear KPIs, uh, very three distinct pillars that they said that they were going to achieve on and you know they wanted to move this into the world-class customer experience so going into that digital experience having a multi-channel online engagement they had to have the most efficient organization now you know talking about time to market you know took them to change a price it took them uh, you know months they had to go down to a day um and of course they had to have the best in class it solutions they couldn't you know have a lot of applications they had to streamline they had to become efficient and, and really really the applications in the IT system have to do the job for them and and uh, you know they they are still on a digital transformation journey they're still working really really hard um, and we're helping them and and I think uh, you know, the, the consumers and customers of Antel is really going to achieve a shift uh, in the way that they are are and are already seeing a shift in how how Antel is engaging with them then we could do a whole show just on that, in fact, just listening to that, because when you think about those three key objectives you talked about around world-class customer experience and becoming the most efficient organisation that can and best-in-class IT solutions, each of those is a big enough topic for a podcast yeah. on their own. Um, <laughs> there are, they are. I, and they, they all rely on some sort of you know best-in-class blueprint that they right. have used in yeah. the back then. And uh, I remember talking to one of their associates uh, uh, in um, Nice in France, and he was talking about this whole transformation where they tried to do it themselves and realized that just they weren't going to do it in time. It was just taking too long. And uh, and then I forget what the, the figure was, but they, they essentially cut years off the process when they realized that they just had the right partner already in bed. They just need to ask the better question, yeah. which obviously was your souls at Ericsson. Um, and there's been some exciting news around what you're doing with Verizon as well, um, which I, I won't steal a thunder on, yeah. but there's been some exciting new innovations. I've had the opportunity to do a blog recently with uh, yourselves um, around fixed wireless access and what's happening in that space, because that seems to be an early adopter, a quick win for a product. Um, what can you tell us around what's happening with Verizon? Because there's a lot of big moving parts in that relationship. 
Yes, I mean, Verizon is really, uh, um, I mean, they've done a fantastic progress in the U.S., I think, and, and um, not only towards consumers, but also engaging their enterprise segment. And that's where we've, um, we'll have them. They're, um, what they're offering is things like mobile uh, VPN and SD-WAN and you know, firewall as a service. And Verizon felt that they weren't, you know, they wanted to get a much better a business offering going towards their enterprise customers. I think they have about thousand or so, and and what they want to do is have the ability to onboard network functions in a very rapid manner, or you know, to test network functions very quickly, um, and and uh, and also to have the ability to compose and and combine these network functions in new type of services for enterprises. So they really want to have a machinery around. And even allow the enterprise themselves to come in and compose different types of uh, configured services. And and they have really, you know, focused a lot in on using these programmable networks and using automation, closed loop assurance, uh, and, and really you know, been able to bring in a lot of more customer satisfaction into the customer base and, and offer easy to scale services, pay as you grow. And what what impressed me the most about Verizon is really you know, the KPI they set. And, and now they have been able to bring down the service delivery time from 21 days to minutes. So the effect is really tangible for their customers. Wow. Um, and and that's what I like about it. Well, that's going to be a game changer because, as you said before, when you know we were talking about a couple of hours to, to try and activate something to a couple of days to then just giving up from the consumer side of things. If you can bring down from you know, 21 days to minutes for an enterprise customer, that's, that's a significant game changer. There's a couple of big topics that we sort of, you know, we haven't had a chance to dive into yet. One in particular is network slicing. It's a topic that comes up quite regularly because people haven't really been able to grasp where it fits into the, the world. And I know there must be some development and testing and investment being made in this space. Um, are there any insights you can share around what you're doing with some of the clients or without even naming the brands, but what's happening around the space of network slicing and, and where are some of the wins to be had there? Because I know that's it's one of those areas where it's a big part of the 5G transformation, but it ho- often hasn't had a lot of love as far as coverage goes. I'd love to get your thoughts no. around where that fits into the big picture. I, I think a, a lot of operators are right now um, testing already on 4G the capabilities of network slicing for those who have started to transform into programmable and automated networks. Uh, they, they are one of the effects, uh, the payoffs of that is that you can actually start experimenting with your network assets towards in, uh, different enterprise use cases and maybe build your business model based on SLAs rather than just usage. Uh, and uh, and I think. Here, um, we're seeing a lot of trials right now and, and, and testing across you know, Europe, uh, Asia, also in the U.S. Uh, but the recent uh, uh, win we've had together with our partnership, I should say, that we've had is, is together with Deutsche Telekom, who are looking at um, uh, providing a company called Osram with a dedicated LD-based campus network. Do you know Osram? Yes. Do you know what they do? Yeah, yeah, they're a big player. Yeah, the light bulbs. Yeah, the 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 light bulbs, right? And of course, they have big. Uh, they're a big manufacturing company, and they want to see how how um, Deutsche Telekom in this case can help them to transform into an industry for zero and, and make their manufacturing much more efficient. And and here, DT provides them with this campus network solutions. Uh, and, and they have some sort of a dual slice approach for public and private LP. Uh, and that's helped them to try these different industry use cases. 
Another, so that was quite uh, that's our most recent um, uh, engagement and partnership. So in the manufacturing, is it a mix of the enterprise mobility challenge around humans moving around using technology versus what's happening on the factory floor around devices, systems, robotics, et cetera? I mean, where are they, where in particular are they applying that? Because it seems to me there's two parts of that world that you've got the enterprise mobility challenge and you've also got something around the, I guess, the, yeah. the manufacturing piece. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's really, they're, they're focusing in on the manufacturing piece. Right. Uh, to just make sure that the factory... Um, uh, is is uh, and the production pro- process in in the in in the factory is optimized. And I guess there's a, a a big win to be had there because one of the risks in factories, particularly the likes of Osram, where they're, they're using a lot of robotic technology, these robots are yes. big, big and heavy and move fast. So uh, you know, I think one yeah, of, they're mobile. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them weigh a exactly. ton. So you know, if if you get a human being in front of them. <laughs> Uh, they need to be able to detect that. They need to be able to make a decision quickly and stop as opposed to run the human over. And I, I think there's a big win around what's happening with, with network slicing and multi-layered uh, quality of service style um, switching fabrics where you've got mobile robots that yeah. weigh a ton moving around with heavy things versus, uh, you know, mobile devices. And the yeah. network slicing to me seems to be a big win because they can quickly deploy different levels of service for low latency, high throughput, high speed, high bandwidth, you know, whether it's 4K cameras looking for things moving versus the traditional mm. email and, and messaging. Um, now, yeah. there's a couple of things no, I'd like. I mean, it, does, it does allow the, the operators to really differentiate their services depending on mission-critical IoT versus uh, more mobile broadband-related services. And, and also, I guess, different price points too, because that's something that I, I remember reading recently with one of the blogs from your team, uh, and particularly the new Big Ideas mm. blog. Um, and if folk haven't seen that yet, jump on uh, Ericsson's website, uh, ericsson.com, and look for the Big Ideas blog. There's some great stuff there. One of the things that I really liked uh, reading about with regard to how you're implementing network slicing solutions for some of your, your uh, partners and tokers and carriers and operators, et cetera, is helping them differentiate in price points. So different levels of service, different speed of service, different volume of bandwidth, different pricing and almost on demand so that clients can sort of do it between, you know, either as they need it or at a particular times of day. And I think this is an exciting whole space for people just getting up to speed. There are two yeah. things I'd like to no, dive right. in. There's two other things I'd like to dive in, dive in before we wrap up because I know I'm, I'm, I've taken up a lot of your time. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite things to do a little bit of crystal ball gazing. But before we do that, there's a big topic I hope you don't mind me bringing in. I see you as a, a significant thought leader in the whole space of women in technology, particularly in this case in the, in the technology around mobile and, and tech carriers. Um, even so much that, that I, was, I was very keen to see that one of your avatars was you holding up uh, one of the sustainability goals. I think it was number four, uh, uh, quality education and so forth. Really love to get a bit of a view on kind of what you're doing personally, your own experience in the space and, and some of the emerging things that are happening around uh, just, you know, the emergence of women in technology and getting an even even par keel sort of thing uh, where, you know, there's a lot of work being done in, in, I guess, equality and diversity. But women in tech seems to be just one of those spaces still struggling to, to just get even uh, and, and get even footing. What's happening in your world around this space? Because I see you as a thought leader in this, and I'd really love to get your insights and kind of what you're doing personally, what's happening around the organization and, you know, what Ericsson's doing and what the industry's doing. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for the question. I mean, it's. Um, uh, I've been a, a, a female leader in this industry for now over twenty years, and and are we are we done? Or is it uh, you know, are there enough women in this industry to really capture the full potential of what we have to bring? I said no. 
but I'm seeing a lot of improvements. I mean, maybe the numbers aren't pointing in the right directions, but I'm seeing the discussions and the debates and 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 really, you know, the reflection for both us women and our male colleagues really saying that, you know, but this doesn't look right. But this team is not going to be a high-performing team if we don't have diversity. And diversity then goes beyond, you know, gender. It's also about age and nationalities for us um, and Ericsson. But uh, for me, uh, yeah, you, you notice my avatar on, um, on uh, equal education. I think I've always paid a big attention to the fact that well-educated women with STEM capabilities, women around the globe who have a solid education to stand on also get the authority to drive change. Uh, so they're very much interlinked um, in terms of making sure that we have women as you know a part of our education program, the STEM education program. Ericsson's driving a lot of things in this space. We have girls in ICT days and we uh, you know, we, we are really encouraging women. And for me personally, I am inspired by seeing more and more women take, you know, take place. You know, stand up and say, this is my opinion. This is where the business is heading. You know, this is are the things that we need to do. And in Ericsson, we are appointing a lot, a lot more of these competent women. We're not perfect. But I see, for instance, in our research, super inspiring, super smart women that are driving all the research around cloud, AI, automation, etc. Super, super inspiring. Well, and some... those are the types of women that are really like going to, you know, help us to inspire other women to do the same. And, and you've got a number of peers in some pretty exciting roles around the world. I'm just doing my homework recently around the space uh, on the topic because, you know, I've got a 17-year-old daughter and, and a vested interest in not just raising her to be a decent person but also looking at what I can do around the world to kind of, you know, give her a, a fair start in the world. And, and I looked around what was happening in Ericsson and I realised that, you know, there's, there's a growing number of, of very, very uh, smart uh, women in really powerful roles who are doing amazing things um, which uh, I, I guess kind of you know, gives us a bit of hope. Uh, as you said before, we, you know, we're not there yet. And it always reminds me of that sort of uh, cartoon, I think it was the Fred Flintstone cartoon, the, the child sits on the back and goes, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Um, and I think we've got to keep asking that question because <laughs> we're not. Uh, and you know, it frightens me because you know, it was like as late as 1902 in Australia that women actually got to vote. You know, and, and that's such a fundamental right of equality, but it's, it's not that long ago, right? And uh, I'm excited yeah. to see what you're doing personally. And as you said, you've had two decades of this, and congratulations on that. Um, but the diversity piece, I like the fact that you mentioned before, the diversity is not just equality from the women's point of view. It's, it's race, creed, religion, et cetera. Um, but I do love that key salient yeah. point you mentioned, which is this is where high-performing teams are going to be even more performant when things huh. are balanced. You know, it's, it, it doesn't work if it's all one way because we just get one skewed view of the world. Where I mean, what, some, what are some of the things that you're seeing come through? I know there's a really exciting program across some um, – I had the privilege of being part of a team coming to Schuster uh, just out of Stockholm at your uh, uh, digital studio. And I remember walking around there and seeing this beautiful wall with these 17 sustainable de uh, development goals for UN. So for people who don't know, the United Nations have 17 sustainable development goals. 
And Ericsson runs a very exciting program where a certain number of people around the world get to put cases for to work on these for a part of their year. And and I love the fact that yours was number four out of 17, which is the, the whole uh, education mm-hmm. piece and quality education because it is the enabler. Um, you know, so much that we invest yeah. significantly in our children's education, but definitely, you know, for our daughter. Um, what, what are some of the big things that are coming through that people can sort of look to and, and get behind and support and engage in with regard to women in, tech, in your space? No, but I think, first of all, um, uh, let's, I mean, when it comes to women in tech, I think showing that it can be done uh, instead of talking about it is, is one thing. So we as women have to step up the challenge show that this this is, can be done. I think my learnings from um, you know, being a, a manager role in, in Japan, which is a, a country that has uh, um, you know not as many women in, in working society and less so in, in, in tech. Um, you know, it was really to just be there and show that it's possible. Yeah. And to and in my role. Uh, it is to also not just show that it, it can be done, but to really help um, the women that work for me and with me and to give them that support that requires to, to you know, be bold, take the step and, and do it because, you know, it can be done. <laughs> it absolutely can be done. And uh, I see more and more uh, uh, interest from our, our colleagues around the globe you know, they want to be able to have these diverse teams because they're seeing it in the numbers that it's paying off. Yeah. Uh, high performing teams pay off. And I think that's where we need to go in. And of course, that's education again, uh, the sustainability goals. That is a top of Ericsson agenda again. And that goes, you know, of course, beyond uh, uh, genders and such. But uh, we have over 20 years of research into how technology for good um, can play an important role in society going forward. And and that is just uh, fantastic and interesting to look at. And I think we all need to support this, the UN sustainability goals, but maybe, you know, grab one of those 17, just hold on to it a little bit tighter and make your contributions. Well, I recommend they start with number four. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Um, and uh, look, you know, I take my hat off to you because from what I've seen, you know, you've spent your whole career leading from the front, putting yourself out there, as you said, you know, taking those risks, making the bold steps, leading by example, and you know, it's having an effect. So I'm just really honoured to have you on the show to talk about that. Now, before we wrap up, um, one of my favourite things to do with my guests is to hand you a virtual crystal ball and get you to gaze into this. Um, and, and, you know, both from your role and you personally, as well as, I guess, from the Ericsson brand point of view, um, over the next 12 to 18 months or so, um, what are some of the big things that are over the horizon that we should be expecting to come at us? Uh, what are some of the big trends, the big shifts? What things should we be thinking about across enterprises looking to transition digitally, across carriers and operators trying to figure out how they go through that journey and engage uh, into this new market? Uh, crystal ball gazing wise, what's your general sense of what we've got in the next 12 to 18 months and beyond? Well, uh, when it comes to 5G, I, I I actually don't need to look into the crystal ball. We're 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 really focused now on on making 5G happening, and and the mobility report really tells us that you know the number of subscriptions we know um, are going to grow, uh, and we know what they're going to go into. We know that 
our customers who have set out and declared that they're going to start commercially with 5G. We know who who they are, and they're going to start in the U.S. and then, of course, move into Asia and then and then into Europe. And so, 5G will take off, and it's going to be enhanced mobile broadband to begin with. Uh, So, you know what? What I'll use my crystal ball for is to look beyond beyond that, um, maybe a little bit further into head, because the other thing that will you know, start to happen is, is, you know, what this technology is going to be used for. And we know that um, we've done the research to know that there is a huge business opportunity and industry potential for operators to tap into uh, 5G. There's a um, 619 billion US dollar total addressable market that they can tap into but it's not obviously gonna come for free so uh, they have to start looking at you know getting 5g and digital transformation on the agenda really looking at how those two technology trends really can help them to form not only from a technology point of view but organizationally how they manage and ask their assets that they have what blueprint is going to work for them to be able to capture and tap into this? And I, I, I would love to use a bit of my power as well to really think about you know, not waiting um, to tap into this potential, but really starting to put a stick in the ground already now. Um, because the potential, as you were saying, enterprises are transforming and they are will get the benefit from 5G technologies and digital transformation technologies. And we need to make sure that we may help them make that connection into telco space. And the other big thing, uh, you know, is, of course, uh, uh, the move with 5G and the need for, for automating and using AI to just become super smart in how you manage this, these networks. Because... They can't be more costly. They have to be more efficient um, to allow for uh, for our customers just to reap the real benefits of, of their technology investments. Um, so I think that's that's what I would like to see in my uh, in uh, in my crystal ball. Um, I, I know five D is going to happen. I'd like to see you know AI and orchestration taking off uh, quickly, and and of course I'd like. Uh, much bolder move towards uh, capturing the industry for the zero um, using 5G and the, the power of telecom. I like that. I like that. In fact, uh, uh, that's probably one of the most unique and, and, and uh, perfect fits in that uh, your comment with regard to not needing the crystal ball with what's happening based on the fact that you've got this data, you've got the, the user reports, you've got the mobility report to, to go by its real data. Uh, versus what's coming over the horizon and, and, you know, really big shifts around smart cities, smart factories, industry 4.0. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And uh, as I said before, I've been very, very keen to have you on the show for a long time, Eva. And uh, just some really amazing uh, personal and uh, professional insights into what's happening around your world, your role, and I guess where we're going in the, in the, in the future. So thank you so much for making time to join me on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. It's been uh, an absolute pressure for me too. I wish I was in uh, sunny Sydney with you though. Um, <laughs> yeah, you'll It would have been great. You'll have to come for a holiday. Well, uh, folks, you've had some amazing insights there from Eva Headforce, 
Vice President and Head of Marketing Communication for Ericsson's second largest business area, uh, digital services. And uh, so we've referred to a few things here that I'd just like to call out. So in particular, the Ericsson Mobility Report was just released in November, I believe it was. Um, so jump online and just search for Ericsson Mobility Report. There's some amazing insights in there. And uh, we'll provide the link in the show description. And if you've got any questions, reach out online. There's plenty of ways to communicate with Ericsson, Ericsson Digital through social media on LinkedIn on uh, Twitter, et cetera, and uh, obviously the contact form through the website. And if you've got any questions, uh, just post them in the uh, field below. We'll have the shared on LinkedIn and, and Twitter and other platforms. Got any questions that come out of listening to this show, just uh, post them out there. We'll make sure they get forwarded to uh, Eva to follow up with, uh, and I'm sure she'll be tracking it online as well, uh, given her remit. Uh, so thank you very much for joining us, everyone. And Eva, thanks so much for joining us. And with that, we'll wrap up. We really appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you in the next show. Uh, thanks again, Eva. It's been great to have you. Thank you so much, Daz. And with that, we'll wrap up. Thanks for joining us, folks. Have a great day. Have a great evening wherever you are. We'll see you in the next show. I'm Des Blanchfield, your host, and this has been another Transmissions from Tomorrow. Uh, and we look forward to joining you again in the next show. Thanks for joining us.